What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Holy Shit Pod. It's me. It's your boy. It's your cousin. It's your nephew, Brandon T. Maxwell. And today, Pastor Sam, Katie, and I continue our month-long celebration of Mental Health Awareness Month. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and now would be a great time for you to connect with a mental health professional. That could be a counselor, a therapist, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist. Nothing has to be wrong to go to therapy. Therapy is not about what's wrong. It's about what's right. Go ahead and connect with somebody today and start unpacking your shit. Today's conversation is about purity culture in the church and all the ways Christianity has led some of its followers to have highly repressed sexual identities, non-existent sex lives, and fearful connections to their bodies. And by now, you know that we love to hear from you. If you have ideas, questions, comments, or just want to give us a shout out, send an email to holyshit at theolabmedia.com. And before we get into today's conversation, let's get into a few church announcements. Praise the Lord, everybody. No, I'm not feeling it anymore. Let everybody clap their hands. <laughs> Wait, I'm sick. I'm sick of her. I'm sick of her. I'm sick of because her Because you got to, when you get in the floor of worship, you can't be enunciating every single, she's like, let everybody clap their hands. No. Little Nas X. No. Everybody clap your hands. Let everybody clap their hands. Okay. That that's a little better, a little better, but a little too. <laughs> that was too much, huh? It's time for a few church announcements. I have a disclaimer. Typically, I would script all of these things because I am more prone to cuss when I do not script myself. So I just want to apologize to my mother and to all the mothers out there. Happy belated Mother's Day. Yesterday was Mother's Day, and I hope you celebrated the best way you could in the midst of the panorama. This year, my gift to you, mother, and all the mothers out there is the gift of freedom. If you want to cuss, cuss a little bit, because we're going to do that today, because I forgot my script. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. First announcement. Now, we know Keisha Lance Bottoms has been in the news recently for announcing that she is not going to pursue another term as the mayor of Atlanta. I'm still digesting this, so I'm not ready to talk about it yet. We can talk about that next week. But before all of that went down, Keisha Lance Bottoms told Governor Kemp he can take his little laws and shove them up his Ass. What? My, my, my. It's a good thing you're not cussing. <laughs> this is the day that I'm not cussing as much, right? Ass is not a cuss word. It is in the Bible. Jesus said <laughs> ass. I'm sure Jesus said ass often. Bring me that ass. This is what happens when purity culture is the topic. This is what happens. All of y'all's little repressed Christian sexuality comes out and we can't make any progress in the episode. That's what's happened. Yeah, this is why my invitation a couple weeks ago was to have more sex. That's I'm why. I'm not making this up. <laughs> I will find the scripture where Jesus says, go to the next city. There's an ass tied up. Bring me that ass. Bring me that. <laughs> he did. He did. Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms clapped back against Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, who passed a law that Republicans signed, SB202, which rolled back voter protections that were offered to folks both during the pandemic and before the pandemic. Realizing that she had a loophole, she passed an executive order of her own. Keisha, my mayor, 
instructed Atlanta's chief equity officer, Kadira Abdur-Rahim, to come up with a response that would preserve residents' access to the ballot box. Included in the order are directives that city staff members are offered training on the new voter registration, um, early absentee, and in-person voting rules. She's also outlined protocols to better educate city residents about all of these new practices. Mayor Bottoms, Mayor Lance Bottoms, is also asking that city departments include information on voter registration and absentee voting in water bills and other mailings. So all y'all not paying y'all's water bill, y'all ain't gonna get this memo. You still get it, you just don't. <laughs> you just ain't paying your bill. You uh, <laughs> so it sounds like this is um, heavily educational. Yes. In informing and alerting people of what they need to do to prepare as elections approach. Yep. And how to navigate these new laws that are in place. Yep. Which is good, right? I mean, Atlanta, when you look at the presidential election and you look at the Senate runoff races, it was the black areas of the city of Atlanta that really helped put those things over the edge for uh, Wafia Warnock, John Ossoff, and Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Yeah. JRB. I think that the education piece is essential so that people know what they need to do. I also think that it sounds like she's encouraging the people in charge of elections to push that limit as far as possible so she can get both the education and actual process going on so that they're not waiting until next October to figure it out. And that's good. In an unlikely turn of events, Kentucky Republicans passed legislation, bipartisan legislation expanding voting in the state of Kentucky. Did y'all see this? Yeah, I saw it. I did. Are you are you stroking your microphone, Sam? No. We're not to the sex section yet. I'm so confused. Like, you're like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> I actually wasn't until you said something, and then I decided to do it. This is repressed Christian sexuality at its peak. I'm sorry. It is not. Can we continue talking about Kentucky? So right after we found out about Keisha Lance Bottoms passing her executive order to educate voters, we found out that Kentucky state Republicans signed the bipartisan legislation that codifies in-person early voting as well as modernizations to the absentee voting process. I never thought I'd see the day where any Republican leadership would do something that expands voting rights. And then I read the fine print. Yeah. It's all because it benefited them. Exactly. And it benefits them now. It likely won't always benefit them. It might take some time for that sea change to occur. It also happened because they have a Democrat as a governor and a Republican as a secretary of state in Kentucky. Touche. So wait, tell me how it benefits them. I missed that part. Well, because when they looked at all of the results from the election, it actually turns out that the early voting and absentee voting and all the things that they had to do for COVID-19 resulted in more Republicans voting, yeah. which helped get Mitch McConnell back into the Senate for a right. second round. So they're like, okay, well, if this is actually going to help us, I mean, and if you look at Georgia, the same thing happened. The reason that we actually had some of these things in place before the pandemic is because it resulted in Republicans getting more votes. And so when it benefits Republicans, they're willing to do it. And not for the sake of any sort of democracy or illusion of democracy, but solely for the sake of maintaining power. It's crazy because... Mitch McConnell, who has advocated for the voting restrictions in Georgia, yep. is not opening his mouth to champion the voting access that Kentucky is passing in his own home state. Wait a minute. I haven't seen this yet. This fool who was actually against what Trump was doing has been supporting the Georgia election 
who was against what Trump was doing. You want to reword that? Well, theoretically, once the well, once the um, he made a statement. Yeah. Well, it was a little bit more broad. Let me be more specific. He was theoretically not happy with Trump's challenge of the election and certainly not of the storming of the Capitol. I think it had more to do with the insurrection in January 6th because he was very quiet up until that point. I'm not defending Mitch McConnell at all, but I am saying that that day, even when Ted Cruz and all those people started challenging the election results, he was still kind of pointed that that didn't need to happen, but then he was more pointed after the insurrection. But yes, sorry. I I was just surprised given. Don't be surprised. White people don't surprise me. Ever. Ever. Katie, when you gonna stop being surprised by your folks? You was made from them. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Cut from the same cloth. (laughs) Same cloth. Same lily white cloth. In seminary, we would say it's homoousius. Is that the word? Homosexual. Are you calling us homos? I don't understand. Of the same substance. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm switching teams again. Katie, what do you call us? <laughs> Y'all know what homo means. Y'all know homo means the same. Y'all both homos. <laughs> I thought you didn't study Greek. Or is that Latin? He didn't study any of it. Now, see, if they ever say... That we just jump on Katie, they can't. Look at how y'all double teaming me. You deserved it, though. You deserved it. Oh. You deserved it. That's a song that came to mind for me, too. Okay, Katie, what was you saying about loving white people? Something. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I get it. I shouldn't be surprised. I also know that I am white and I was raised with a certain level of integrity and consistency that maybe to a fault. So I assume that other people have that and it's not the case. So That sounds so bad when you say that right after you say, I am white. Just pairing those two things. It's just like, I am white. And I know that I was raised with a certain level of integrity and this. And I assume other people have that. It just sounds so bad. It's like you just elevated your whiteness all the way up to the ceiling. Because you're white, you was raised with these things. And it just, don't put that together. Thank you for saying that. I was saying I am white because you were saying I know. you were raised right. Then, but, maybe it should have been but there. But <laughs> what surprises me about these folks is you were the one that made the connection between me and Mitch McConnell because we're all white. But I was raised with a certain level of integrity that the same folks who are cut from the same Homoousia, whatever, cloth. Lily white cloth will suffice. The lily white cloth. (laughs) Um, I expect folks to have that or be like shocked into some kind of integrity and that doesn't happen. And so that that is the part that shocks me. Because they ain't got no soul. Clearly not. I never written a book called The Souls of White Folk. Yes, you have. What's it called? It was, uh, what was it? Uh, Gone with the Wind? No, what was uh... <laughs> Gone with the Wind. What was, uh... Katie, what's y'all's, what's y'all's, what's the equivalent of the souls of black folk? The KKK manual? <laughs> what's the movie, what's the, what's the movie that they made? Wasn't it based off a book, uh, Birth of a Nation or something like that? It's the souls of white folks. I'm sorry. Who y'all are on 10 today, and I absolutely love it. Well, last announcement. As some of you may know, we are in the season of Easter Tide. It's the season where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
and the senior citizens ministry of the church wants you all to know that they left nigga, the N-word, niggero, on Good Friday. They said the word nigga got buried on Good Friday, and they want to leave it there. But now the youth ministry, they said, hell no, we raising that shit up on Easter with Jesus and we're going to keep on using the word over and over and over again. So And over. Nigga, 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 nigga. So, so, the, reason, <laughs> so the reason I brought that up is because you need to, we need to play that clip right there of, of the audio <laughs> of that song. Gold all of my chains. that? Busta Rhymes? Gold all of my rhymes. Who is that? Gold all of my rhymes. Nigga, 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 nigga. Don't believe nigga, me, just nigga. watch. Nigga, nigga, nigga. Gold all of my chain, gold all of my ring, gold all of my watch. Don't believe me, just watch, nigga, nigga, nigga. But your face, I know exactly. That's my rap face. He's so he's so into it. I know. The reason I brought that up is because it's like every five years or so, there's like a resurgence of the whole nigga debate and whether we should or shouldn't say it. I'm gonna say it. I think the NAACP under Al Sharpton's leadership like five years ago said they was gonna bury the N-word. They gave it a funeral. And literally, black people was like, no, we're raising that shit up just like Lazarus. <laughs> like, how are you gonna bury something? You can't force me to not say this word if I wanna say the word. I'm laughing because there's a whole like two or three podcast episodes, I just skip over them, where they're talking about nigga and whether or not it can be said and like people's tensions with the word. And really, it is very simple. Like, it's not very heavy. If you're black, say whatever you want to say. You can say it. We deal with enough policing in our daily lives. So I'm not going to police how Mm -hmm. you say the word. I'm not going to require you to say the word. And I'm not going to require you not to say the word. You use the word however you do or you do not want to say it. Like, do do what you want to. Now, if you white, shut the hell up. Don't you dare. It's not your word. Don't you dare. It's not for you. Punch you in the mouth. Sam gonna punch you in the mouth. And he got a big old fist. That would hurt. With the Holy Spirit. He gonna punch you in the spirit. I think the core issue is white people just think that they own everything. And so to have any mm-hmm. population say, no, this is not yours. No, you can't say this. No, you can't have this. It's like anathema to their being. They're like, what do you mean I can't say it? I created the word. I'm like, no, yeah, you did. But you created it at a hard ER. And so you are not permitted to now try to say it. It's mine. I claim that shit, and it means something different than that hard ER, because y'all become with them niggers, and I'm like, no, no, sir, no, ma'am. You can't say it in the music. You can't say it when Kanye's rapping. You can't say it if, if you got a pass from three of your black friends, and unless you call them that, don't call me that, because I didn't give you the pass. That pass is not transferable among friendships. So the word is risen from the dead, and it's risen just like Jesus, only for black folks. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That went away. I didn't think it was going to go. And if you're not a white person, because we don't believe in racial binaries here, you also can't say it. (laughs) Only black people. If you're biracial and like half of you is black, then okay. Maybe. I mean, not maybe. Like, yes. One drop rule. You got to say it softly. You can't scream it. You got to be like... You got to say it with half your mouth. (laughs) You got to say it like with a question mark on the end. Like, you nigga. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I think it is? It must be it must That's be Kirk Franklin horrible. when he told Carrie, I will break your neck, nigga. Nigga! <laughs> gotta talk about this word. Gotta talk about this word. We ain't gotta talk about domestic abuse. We ain't gotta talk about child abuse. We ain't gotta talk about like patriarchal masculinity. We ain't gotta talk about that, but we gotta talk about the N-word. We gotta talk about Get out my line. And he said some other words in there that was much worse. And they wanna talk about nigga. <laughs> 
Patrice, he said, y'all want to talk about nigga? <laughs> that concludes today's church announcements. Thank you so much for listening. No. Oh, there's more? Go ahead. You want to pass an announcement? So there's a senator in the state of Alabama. He's actually the secretary of state for the state of Alabama who's going to run for Senate. And then he just got like exposed for having an affair or cheating on his wife. And it's funny because everything about his language is how God is transforming him. And he needs to take some time to get, you know, to repair that relationship with God. The only reason he got caught is because his mistress recorded him and exposed him talking about all the sex acts that they did. See, she's pretty. And I love her for it. I absolutely <laughs> love her for it. She called him trying to have phone sex right. and like, tell me what you did to me last week. <laughs> tell me what you did to right. me last week. <laughs> I, think, I think it was an in-person recording, but she was talking about all of the positions and all this stuff. And then he was like, I can't see you anymore because the Lord is trying to get me right. And she was like, so the last time was the last time? He was like, I, I hope so. See, that's y'all's problem. Y'all want to call on the <laughs> Lord. <laughs> So this, this is so related to today's conversation. So clearly he has some sexual desires and proclivities that he was getting satisfied with whoever this woman was. And I'm not into any sort of slut shaming. I'm like, okay, those are two grown adults. They made choices. They may not be choices that I would agree with. And they may not be things that I would uh, advise someone to do in a pastoral counseling session. But they're two consenting adults having sex. And then you want to call on Jesus? Mm-hmm. Like, did you did you talk to Jesus before you started fucking? And literally, I think someone had called him out on it before she released these tapes. And he categorically denied the accusations that he had any extramarital affair. And I think this lasted for like three years. He was like, this is absolutely false. And then she like pushed play. And he was like, I mean, I can't, you know, ain't nothing I can say. It happened. And oh the Lord God. is working on me. He's still working on me. It's intriguing how people use God when they've lied completely and totally. People do that? Mm. Politicians are doing it all the time. I, don't, I, I didn't do that. Nothing like that's ever happened. That's false. And then all of a sudden, there's an audio tape of it. Politicians and preachers. I mean, and, and so this is challenging, right? We've talked about the church before. Brandon, we talked about growing up in churches where people are like, holiness of hell, you got to live right, don't put no pants on, you can't wear makeup, keep your legs closed, blah, 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 blah. And like, they're, they're like baby factories. Like, they're like popping kids out and not married. Like, men got like eight different families around the city. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, but you preaching holiness to everybody else. But you telling everybody else how to live. But you telling everybody else that that they got to meet your standard. And you're not living up to this own standard that you're setting for other people. This is why Montero made the video. I'm just saying, Kurt Franklin tried to tell y'all in that revolution song, no crime, no dying, politicians lying, everybody's, everybody's trying, trying to make a dollar. It makes me want to holler. The, the way they do my life, the way they do my life, there's going to be a brighter day. All my devils have pass away. Get your words right, man. I don't be knowing words, y'all. I make up my words. You know the words to this song, clearly, Sam. Katie, did you know the lyrics? <laughs> Katie, your part is... Oh, 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 oh. Oh, do you want to? No, that's your part there. Do you want a revolution? I do know that part. <laughs> Katie, Katie is over there like Kirk Franklin. Is that any relation to Benjamin Franklin? She know this song. You know, Katie thinks she's black sometimes. I be reminding her that she's not. <laughs> I don't ever need reminding. Katie, let's do your part. I want you to do your. Do you want a revolution? So here we go. I'm gonna do the girl part. You do the boy part. Oh, 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 oh. Do you want a See, oh. this ain't gonna work. <laughs> Do you want a revolution? Ooh, ooh. 
Do you want a revolution? Do you want a revolution? Lord, help us. Do you want a revolution? (laughs) Help us good. Well, that actually is a good transition. We will take a quick break and then come right back with today's conversation about purity culture, particularly how it's screwing up the sex lives of evangelicals and the rest of the world. We'll be right back after this quick break. I know this isn't on your um, announcement, but I know that we're allowed to pass them to you. Did you hear that the new UNC basketball coach, Hubert Davis, he was announced and they asked him what it was like to be the first black head coach at Carolina. He gives this great answer. And then he said, but I'm also proud of my white wife and our mixed children. What? Wow. This is a, a what? <laughs> So Hubert Davis was a guy who played for Dean Smith at UNC in 1988 to 92. He was in college the same time I was. And so Roy Williams, just retired, longtime coach, and UNC always hires within. So they hired this guy who had been an assistant forever, first black coach at Carolina. They ask him about being the first black coach, and he talks all about that. And then I'm reading right now from Black Sports Online, but they do have this um, on video clip. But basically, this is what they say. Hubert Davis was asked what it meant to be the first black head coach at North Carolina. For the first 50 seconds, he gave a great answer. Then out of the blue, he said he was proud of having a white wife and mixed children. I have nothing else to say about that. I feel like I just can't. Yeah. I mean, he had to point out that she was white. Right. Why couldn't he just say, I'm proud of my family, my wife. They've supported me. They've always been there. And them a black babies, has he not heard of the one drop rule? Right. White people made the rule. You can't change the rule as a black man just because you got a white wife. Wow. Thank you for that, Katie. So a couple weeks ago, the New York Times, which again is my favorite news source, I try to like minimize my news sources. And so the New York Times is one of the few things that I actually read. This is not an ad for the New York Times. I can encourage you to get your news from whatever source you desire. If New York Times, you would like to sponsor our podcast, we would be happy to make this an ad and encourage people to only read you. And by you, I mean the Times. But the article was entitled, How an Abstinence Pledge in the 90s Shamed a Generation of Evangelicals. In short, the Christian purity movement promoted a strict view of abstinence before marriage. And two decades later, many followers are grappling with unforeseen aftershocks. So I was one of these Christians who took the purity pledge in the 90s. Oh, really? (laughs) I did. I went through the True Love Waits class. And when I went through the class, um, we had a little ceremony at the end of the session where we all got married to Jesus. We all went down to the front of the church. Wow. In the middle of the service. This was on a Sunday morning. It wasn't even like like a special service. We went down to the front of the church with our parents and we all promised and vowed that we wasn't going to have sex before marriage. We were going to save ourselves for the person to whom we were going to be betrothed in the future. And we all put on a purity ring. Oh, so you had one. I had two. So the first one I had... You broke the first one? Well, (laughs) so the first one I had, 
this is horrible, but I'm just telling you my truth. I was dating a young lady at the time. I was, that's a time when I was still trying to date women and perform heterosexuality. I like to say that I was struggling with heterosexuality as opposed to homosexuality, like the Christians like to say. I was struggling with being heterosexual because that's not what my ministry was. But I was trying so hard. And there was this young lady I was dating at the time. And I gave her my purity ring because what I realized is that we was basically fucking. Like, we did everything except, like, have vaginal intercourse. And I was like, man, we basically fucking. And I feel like we're going to get married. Because in that season, I was like, I already knew I was gay. And I was like, but I, I got to marry a woman. And if this woman's going to love me, then we're going to get married. I'm going to give her my ring. So I gave her my purity ring. And she kept that shit after we broke up. <laughs> I mean, did you take her purity? I, she didn't give me hers. No, I'm not saying did you take her ring. I'm asking you, did you take her purity? No, I didn't take nobody purity. We was two consenting adults. <laughs> she probably felt like she earned that ring. <laughs> She's like his gay ass keeping this ring. So I got a second one. <laughs> I purchased a second ring. Why did you get a second one? Because <laughs> no, she kept that shit. I wanted my ring. It was over. You had given up your purity. We did not have vaginal intercourse. Oh, so that was by definition. That that's that's what would have caused you to lose the purity is if you had to have vaginal intercourse. I mean, by the class they taught, they said any type of sex was sex. They didn't really categorize it. They just said sex is sex. If it's oral, it's sex. If it's anal, it's sex. If it's vaginal. But you had your own standard. You like the rest of the church people I've been talking about. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and that's why I bought another ring. I'm just like the bride that wears white, even though everybody in the sanctuary knows that she ain't coming down that aisle white. And so I bought a second one and it turned my finger green. Because the Lord knows. Because the <laughs> so, Lord. <laughs> so I stopped wearing it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. So, I mean, I guess I'm trying to say in a comedic way, but also serious, like I was one of these evangelicals that went through the purity culture mm -hmm. movement, through True Love Waits. I mean, in the 90s, you couldn't find a year to go by. Churches sometimes did it twice a year, would have these sort of purity conferences and teach you what it meant to save yourself from marriage. Sam, did you did you learn to be pure? Hell no. I knew that already. No, absolutely not. And now that I'm looking back over my family history, it would have been hard for them to preach purity to anybody. Uh... <laughs> Why are you doing this today? Why? Half of them had babies on their hips in high school. You know what I'm saying? Like you ain't, you can't be up here espousing purity, and you was, you was. Uh, <laughs> I ain't gonna even say some of the stuff that I would say. See, you the problem. You are the church people you talking about. Where we learned about abstinence mm -hmm. was in health education and not the church, which I, I actually have an appreciation for the way that we learned about abstinence because it wasn't this thing saying somehow you're shamed into this thing. Now, don't get me wrong. There was this kind of holy standard from religious folks, right? That you can't be shacking or you can't be living with somebody and sleeping with them and you're not married. Like you need to go get married. And to me, that was for more of appearances, right? It wasn't as much that these people really thought that your soul was condemned to eternal damnation because half of their families uh, had children from people that they weren't married to. They was just kind of like, hey, you're making your family look bad, man. Go on, get married to that woman. You know, that type of situation. We, we weren't taking no purity rings and buying them, spend no money on that shit. What's wrong with you? Katie, <laughs> <laughs> okay, did y'all learn how to be pure in the Presbyterian church? I was out of college before the purity movement came about. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, you forgot. This was past your time. Yeah, they weren't even having sex. I've been intrigued in the two Baptist churches that I've gone to, how many people talk about 
purity culture. Like I may have had a faint knowledge of it going on, but I had no idea the extent or the, like how big it was. And, but almost everybody that I've talked to in these Baptist churches had been through this kind of upbringing in their youth group, which, which is astonishing to me. I don't remember my health class, Sam, but I think that abstinence was definitely what was talked about. And I was fine with no sex before marriage. I mean, until I came out and then, then I changed my rules a little bit, but. um, (laughs) I need to know about these rules. I'm sorry. Rewind. I was pretty committed to not having sex before marriage. And. But it wasn't, was it for Jesus? No, I just thought that's what you were supposed to do. I mean, maybe it was for Jesus. Maybe it was part of. um, I just don't understand why anyone would not have sex if they weren't doing it for Jesus. You. Because you would get pregnant or you'd get an STD. I mean... How was you going to get pregnant? I was dating men at the time. But wait a minute. you was Katie, you never told me you used to try to have sex with men. No, no, no. I didn't have sex with men. But I did date men until through college. Oh. You've never had sex with a man? I have never had sex with a man. Oh, She's okay. a platinum lesbian. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Wow. What is that? There's There's levels to this shit. Oh, yeah. That's another episode. I didn't even know about it, so I'll look forward to looking that up, maybe. It's really for the gays, but keep going. Uh, I see. No, and it probably saved me from, like, sleeping with people I shouldn't have slept with. So that's a good thing. So it must have been from health, because I was more afraid of getting pregnant and that being a really bad thing, or Mm. getting an STD. Brandon wasn't scared. Apparently not. I actually wasn't. I mean, so this is the thing. My mother is the first person to teach me about sex. If you've ever heard me talk about sex in public or you've ever heard me talk about sex on any podcast you've ever listened to where I've been a part of it. Like, my mother was a nurse, and so we grew up, like, her opening up her textbooks from nursing school and showing us all the anatomy of both men and women and explaining in grave detail exactly what was what. And my mother, before I was in the True Love Ways classes, would still teach children about sex in Sunday school on Sunday mornings. And they would come and they would say, your mama was telling us that. And I'm like, oh my God, that is not okay. I don't want to hear about this. So like my mother told me about sex before True Love Waits did. And I'm not certain that she talked as much about abstinence in the early days, but once we started to do the abstinence curriculum, then she talked a whole lot about abstinence. There was also this sort of tension for me because I did receive mixed messages from the church because at the end of the day, what I'm claiming for myself is the truth that everybody knew that I was gay. Even me. Even me. I knew that I was gay. They put my ass in a glass closet and tried to tell me that I was straight and everybody saw all of them rainbows flowing from my body still trying to get me to be straight. And so there was this secret desire that they had for me to actually have sex with women. And so anytime that I actually did have sex with a woman, that was like celebrated. How did people know about this? You was like telling everybody? I mean, was you? (laughs) I I tell people when I have sex. You would tell your mother? I would tell my family. Thanksgiving? It's like, can everybody come? We're going to pray for the food. And Brandon's like... Oh, my gosh. I had sex twice this month, y'all. It was great. Wow. <laughs> well, it wasn't exactly like that. But, but like, so I think, again, this goes back to the fact that I think everyone knew that I was gay. They would ask me questions. They would, like, 
ask questions about random things. And we had very open communication in my household. And I've never been someone who's able to lie. I've tried to tell one lie in my life and it tore me apart. And so I had to start saying to them, do not ask any questions to which you don't want an honest answer because I'm going to give you the truth. And so um, there was, again, in in the case of my last ex-girlfriend, this was a very attractive woman. And everybody at the church thought this was an attractive woman. And people was curious about my sex life. And because I had learned what it looked like to perform patriarchal masculinity and hyper-masculine behavior, then I knew how to infer what was happening. And sometimes just explicitly stated if I was in the context of like my family and my closest friends. Okay. And so there was a little bit of a like pat on the back, locker room culture. I never went in many locker rooms. I stopped that in the eighth grade. But it was like a, you know, good job. At a boy, champ. So it's it's like that uh that uh what's your, that girl fine you hitting that boy what what you doing with that you you know kind of that conversation more or less. Katie, you're so lost right now. I'm I'm not lost. I'm appalled, but I'm not lost. <laughs> what was you doing in your locker rooms with the basketball team? I kept my eyes down. I got dressed really fast and got out. But I think what's intriguing to me is like this sort of hyper focus on sex is following the millennial generation, right? So now we've told millennial age folks that they shouldn't have sex and that they should be pure and they should lock it all up and give it all to Jesus. And now there's all these little studies coming out saying like, oh my God, there's a sex recession among millennials. Millennials are not having sex. And there was one report that like highlighted that in 2018, the share of Americans who said they hadn't had sex for an entire year was the highest on record. In December of 2018, The Atlantic published an article talking about a sex recession among young adults. And so like, there's this hyper focus on sex. And I'm like, what do you all expect? If you tell people to be afraid of their bodies, if you tell people that they shouldn't be having sex, they're not going to have sex. And so I guess the question that I'm trying to push us to today is like, what from your vantage point, is purity culture about? Like, what is the origin of purity culture in the context of religious circles, Christian circles primarily, and how has that helped to foster what we're now seeing as people being uncomfortable with their bodies and people being uncertain how to navigate sexual spaces and situations with partners and other consenting adults? I'm also wondering, like, when we talk about millennials, when we talk about kind of the difference between the way culture and society was years ago, how much factors into this whole issue of young people not having sex is also the way they approach other factors around consequences of sex, right? Access to certain forms of birth control, of course, I'm, when I say birth control, that generally assumes heterosexual sex between a man and a woman. And, you know, the, the possibility of pregnancy is is there. My grandma had 15 kids, um, 12 survived birth. I've heard some of my millennial friends recently say who, who are approaching like their 40s, who are like, I need to be having a kid right now, but I can't afford it. Like, like how many of all of those things also factor into some of some of what's going on? Because because I don't hear as much purity stuff from from the younger generations. So I wonder I wonder what exactly it is. It's interesting that purity culture started in '93, right? When did it end? I mean, I think it's obviously still around, but people aren't you're they're not talking about these true love weights things as much anymore. I mean, I honestly think that a lot of this stuff was a reaction to gay people. I mean, let's be real. To HIV and AIDS, right? Correct, right? Let's just go straight there. Which was manufactured by the U.S. government and injected into black people. 
I, I, I hold space for the truth. <laughs> that was a moment of silence for the truth. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm sorry. I had a Kanye West moment. So, I mean, it was a reaction to gay people. The, the concerns that people had about AIDS, or at that time it was called GRID, gay-related immunodeficiency, which we talked about anti-intellectualism in the church a few weeks ago. And I think because churches have always tried to parse down faith to these simple, simple, simple truths and these uh, simple values right. that we can espouse that can govern and control society— when AIDS came up, we needed a way to simplify how we talked about sex, bodies, and humanity that stopped people from having sex. And so, like, there's a part of me that wants to say the good part of this is the church was trying to have a very, very late and delayed conversation about sex. But the flip side of that is how they had that conversation resulted in them saying, okay, not only should gay people not have sex, nobody have sex ever. Lock it all down. And that's all rooted in heteronormativity. It's rooted in white supremacy. It's rooted in Christianity. I, 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 I was hesitating to link that with, I mean, I'm not actually hesitating, but I know that I link Christianity with an oppressive system um, like sexism and racism. But anyway, as y'all were, as, that's, that's what I think it is, Sam. Which I think is, of course, fine. So you guys were talking about sex in the evangelical church. Uh, Presbyterians don't talk about sex at all. Like the only time that sex was remotely referred to was when we started talking about the ordination of LGBT folks. And and the fact that during my whole ordination process, I was asked about sex all the time. But my seminary colleagues who were sleeping around with each other all the time were never asked about theirs. What? Wait, back up. During your ordination process, you were asked about sex all the time? Oh, yes, because they wanted to know if I was having sex because that I would be an unrepentant practicing homosexual. Were these men or women asking you about? Yes. I mean, the men were the ones that were probably the... There was one man who now apparently is um, supportive of queer people, but that's beside the point. Um, mostly men who were asking those questions. But, but I mean... I literally got into the ordination process. I mean, they wanted to keep me out completely, but like the one place where I nuanced my answer, I was not dating anyone at the time. So I could say that I was not a practicing homosexual at that point. So, I mean, that's not how I worded it, but I was not in a relationship, so I was not having sex. And so they um, let me into the process. Still so much to unpack there because in addition to them asking you questions about sex because they want to make sure that you're not a practicing homosexual. I can't imagine them asking any man who's up for ordination about their sex life. Like, I can't, I can't imagine it across any denomination. Men are the big, biggest whores. Brandon. Brandon was a whore. I was not a whore. I have never been a whore. Okay. I'm only a whore in ideas. Like, ideologically, ideologically, I'm a whore. I'm a whore. In practicality, I'm very much approved. Okay, Katie. I'm sorry. I remember sitting with the man who actually charged me at my ordination. And one of the things he said to me one time was, if we asked everybody about sex, if we kept people out of ministry because of their sexual practice, we wouldn't have very many ministers at all uh, or elders or deacons. Uh, and, and the problem is we're not talking about sex. We're not talking about bodies. We're not talking about the fact that Sex feels good. And so then you're you're at constant odds with 
how you feel or even how you should um, engage ethically in sex. And so, so that's, that's the Presbyterian purity culture. We don't talk about sex at all. I mean, and the reality is, for at least evangelicals, I don't know about Presbyterians because y'all don't really read the Bible, but for the evangelicals who claim they read the Bible at least, like it all goes back to Scripture. So you read passages from Paul where in Paul is saying things like, it's better for me to stay single and dedicate myself totally and fully and wholly to the Lord. And that results in us privileging that, right? And prioritizing that. And then as an alternative, what's first and primary is to dedicate oneself to the Lord and to be single and to abstain from sex, according to Paul. And what's secondary, if it's the case that you're going to burn, that your loins are burning and you can't hold it in, then go get married so at least you can be having sex with the same person. I mean, I'm looking at another article that came out recently. There was a great segment on uh, CBS Sunday Morning, and it was talking about how many priests in the Catholic Church are gay. And they just didn't hear like, yeah, we need to start having a conversation about what it means to have more rounded, robust, um, holistic interpretations of what it means to be a human and a part of that humanity being a sexual being. And that's a that's a rabbit trail, maybe. But celibacy is a is a calling and a choice that doesn't not acknowledge your sexuality. It's it's simply choosing not to act on on that. All right, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a little bit about our favorite new field lab media podcast, Healing Jephthah's Daughters, with the Reverend Doctor Lisa M. Weaver. Lisa, tell them what they've won. Thank you, Brandon. I sure will. Healing Jephthah's Daughters is a podcast for all women and all girls who live with trauma from their relationships with their fathers. On this podcast, we'll use family systems theory, biblical criticism, and storytelling to identify liberative practices that lead to our freedom, healing, and wholeness. Join me each Wednesday for conversations with friends, colleagues, biblical scholars, and mental health practitioners who will accompany us on the healing journey. Healing Jephthah's Daughters is available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe via your favorite app today. And as always, my prayer for you is freedom, healing, and wholeness. Yes. Every time that you pray that for me, I feel like I receive it because you say it with such conviction and authority. It's just like, hallelujah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just sounds so sassy when you're talking, girl. It just sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> Bless your heart. Y'all make a person feel good. Oh, no. You make us feel good. (laughs) All right, Lisa, peace out. Back to you, white woman. So what's interesting to me is the best church sex ed curriculum right now is actually written by the Unitarians and the United Church of Christ. Why is that surprising? They get everything right. (laughs) Right. It's called Our Whole Lives. There's no scriptural references at all. It's just looking at what the ethical, what the right thing to do. I asked Jordan this morning, so tell me what you learned in, in OWL. And she said, she said, sex is good, but wear a condom. <laughs> so, but they're taught about learning sex in a committed relationship. But that comes way after they've learned about their bodies and about body image and about what bodies look like. And they're doing the classes together. So there's boys and girls in the same class. And they're talking about what feels good. I mean, she she knows all kinds of things about um, sex that... Uh, that I never would have known until I was about 30. And, but. You, wait, you said they're talking about what feels good. 
I mean, they didn't give them diagrams, but I mean, they gave them diagrams of the body. Interesting. Basically, they're watching porn in search. That's what I'm. <laughs> <laughs> they get on Zoom, they open up Pornhub, and they're like, "Let's look at this today." <laughs> that was back in the day where they got together in person. So I don't know what happened, but. <laughs> They were definitely watching porn on an iPad. <laughs> but but she doesn't have the same, good Lord, she doesn't have the same hang-ups, I don't think. Um, but, that, but that was taught through a curriculum that is created by a church, but is definitely secular. I mean, they identify themselves as not having theological stuff in it. So this is interesting, and I'm asking you as a parent because we might have listeners listening that have kids thinking like, whoa, what? how how would I feel about them talking about what feels good or, you know, going kind of that in-depth? Like, what are the benefits as a parent? What do you think the benefits are to this level of education? She ain't got to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> I mean, for me, I think... I think that a lot of it, and listening to folks talk about this purity culture, a lot of it is this like disconnection from body. And I certainly know about that disconnection from body or not honoring that. And so I think for me, that's been important for me to honor who she is and, and to honor all of who she is. And so it does make me cringe. Like I, I want to be able to say, don't, <laughs> don't do this till marriage. But I, but, but there's something about the don't that doesn't honor what it is. So you're just constantly, so the rebellion is about doing what I'm told not to do. But if you teach someone that their body is valued and that things that feel good are good to experience and that sex is something that is best engaged in the context of a committed relationship, which I agree with, then I think that's good for her then. She's got all the information she needs to make the decisions. Um, I certainly don't want her to get pregnant ahead of time, but she knows about condoms. She knows about all that, you know? And so I think it's important to give kids the kind of knowledge that they need so that they have it when they're in those situations. Like, so they know when the lights go down and it's after prom, they know what to do. Turn off the lights. Light a candle. I'm sorry, don't this, we should, no, no 13-year-old should be listening to uh, Turn Off the Light. But that's false. But that's entirely false. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Turn Off the Lights is the least of our nigga, worries nigga, today. Nigga, Have nigga, you nigga, seen nigga, the little Nas X video? We got people. Give them the devil out of She said after we played Montero in the car, she goes, okay, I'm playing WAP for you. And she loves playing WAP and then watching my face because I'm like, holy crap. There's some holes in this house. There's some holes in this house. There's some. Hey. Oh, God. Do you know about that wet ass pussy? She plays that song and she laughs at me because, like, it says that three word phrase, say- which I'm not going to say all the time. Like, what's the phrase? Wop. Wop. What's yes. the phrase? Worship and praise. That's right. That's I it. Worship and praise. I'm gonna get me a wop. I'm gonna get me a wop shirt. <laughs> Worshiping here, Somebody has done that though. There's a video that somebody did that used worship and praise instead of wet ass pussy. Look at you. You said <laughs> it. Oh, she said it. Oh, so she said it. And she shook her head like like <laughs> like she needed a bath. <laughs> <laughs> Do you prefer a vagina? 
Yes, that was the one thing I learned in my family is to call things by their actual names. Call me by <laughs> your name. <laughs> tell me you love me in private. Not tell me you love That's your right. private. <laughs> <laughs> you got to redo that song. You got issues, people. So I think the thing for me to make a turn towards something that's a little bit more constructive, like, so what Jordan is learning, and she's not actually watching Pornhub in her youth ministry meet and greets. I'm familiar with the curriculum our whole lives that the UCC and the Unitarians use in their curriculum. I'm also familiar with another book that a lot of people are turning to that's not necessarily religious, which I think is okay and actually pretty good. And by pretty good, I mean it's helpful to have conversations about sex without the constraints of how we've talked about that in terms of religious circles and communities. The book is called It's Perfectly Normal, Changing Bodies, Growing Up, Sex, and Sexual Health. And so it has an entire book, and there are these two characters that follow you. It's all illustrated. And so there's like a bird and a gopher or something that talks you through the entire book. And every chapter is talking about what it means to be a human and your body. And like there's pictures of uh, women bending over in front of one mirror with another mirror in their hand, like a handheld mirror, so they, they can see all of their anatomy. And it encourages the children to do the same thing. And so it creates a healthy relationship with the body. And for me, the challenge with purity culture is, aside from it being rooted in sort of Christian, heterosexist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy, which I love saying all the time as much as possible. And if you need a definition, just go read anything by Bell Hooks and that'll get you on the right path. Killing Rage is my first recommendation by Bell Hooks. Just read the opening vignette and you'll be on the right path. In addition to that being a problem, I think what the issue is with purity culture is it it was abstinence-only education, right? And that's what I heard very loudly and very clearly. Even when I started doing pastoral ministry, I had a colleague in ministry who wanted to have a True Love Waits conference, and he wanted me to lead worship for it. And I was like, I'm not going to lead worship for something where y'all are teaching children abstinence-only education. And he said, well, what do you propose? And I was like, I propose that you teach children about like their bodies and about sex in general. And he was like, I'll pay you $500. I was like, oh, for how many songs? And I went and I sang anyways, even though he still did abstinence-only education. <laughs> so, so your integrity is bought with $500? He, he, he prostituted me. Back then. Back then. Back then. It'll take much more oh, than yeah, that now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think the key is um, what, even though I had that experience in pastoral ministry, the next church where I pastored was a space wherein we had every type of sexual expression in the community. And that's the church that I entered. And one of my biggest commitments when I was actively accepting calls to pastoral ministry, now I'm playing the role of Jonah and running in the opposite direction. So please don't call me. I think that this podcast will solidify my, you know, not being a pastor. But I'm not sure you should have used that biblical example because Jonah got called back. Who else can I play? I don't know, but I'm just saying that that was a dangerous one. So I'm not playing Jonah. I'm playing Brandon. So <laughs> I'm playing Brandon is the key. I think this is a form of pastoral ministry. The Lord has called me to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple of All Saints and Ain'ts. And that's the congregation I'm pastoring. But the one before this, um, we had folks who were poly, who were pan. If any of these words are new to you, look them up polysexual. I'm not going to spend time going through it. You can figure it out. We'll link something in the show notes that explains all the different types of sexualities, genders, and orientations and identities, so forth and so on. But it required me to figure out for myself, even though I had a personal ethic about what sex meant for me as a human and as a human and a person of faith and a person who was trying to live my life faithfully to, uh, faithfully to God in that, in that season. And I do that in a very different way now. I had that for myself, but I didn't have it from a pastoral standpoint. And I think what oftentimes happens with pastors is they don't have 
these sort of abstinence only or sex inside of marriage commitments that they espouse. I can't tell you how many religious leaders who espouse this have ended up with a sex scandal because they're not living what they're preaching. And so the key is, if you don't believe it, children are smart and they can smell that shit from a mile away. And so what's most helpful for us to be doing and for you to be doing for here on this pastoral team that is at the Church of Holy Shit, what we do is we just talk honestly. And what we encourage you to do with your congregation is to be honest and to expose your congregation, adults and children, to a wide range of options. So like when parents came to me in this last congregation because their children were 13 and they hadn't learned how to have sex or how to talk about sex, and they said, well, what are we going to do about sex ed? Are you comfortable with your children learning the truth? Because we have to go through this. It's perfectly normal book, and we're going to go through all of it, and we're going to talk about what it means to have a monogamous sex relationship. We're going to talk about throuples. We're going to talk about being poly. We're going to talk about having open relationships. We're going to talk about all the choices one can make, including abstinence, but we're not going to do abstinence-only education. And I think that's the key. You have to have a well-rounded, robust way of talking about sex. It's interesting. John Merrill, the Alabama Secretary of State that I mentioned earlier, uh, he was quoted in 2019 while he was having this extramarital affair saying basically that we have lost our morals as a society because of homosexual activities and wife swap shows. What? What? So wait, wait a minute. what is wife swap? That's what I want to know. Isn't that like swingers or something like that? They used to do it in the 70s. I don't know they have shows. No, no, Katie. No, Katie. <laughs> it's swingers? That's not what that is. No, they're actually shows where like... <laughs> I'm sorry. I keep I keep saying that it's not the homosexuals ruining the church. It's the heteros. They're swapping wives on television. No, they're not. Not like. Why are you laughing at me, Sam? Because because she went to swingers. She was... Isn't that the same thing? No, like wife swap shows is literally like where the wives or family swap for like a week and live in the house with another family and. Uh... <laughs> But they're not having sex, as far as theoretically. You know. Have you seen The Bachelor? Because everybody having sex on The Bachelor. He's sleeping with it for a while. But I love, how, I love how Katie was just like swingers, you know. She said that thing with know, conviction. Done that, been, been there, done that. No. No, is that a TV no, show? No, it's not. I thought it was a TV show. Swingers? Oh, it might be. I don't know. So I learned in my pastoral ministry that I have to like be able to say these words without reacting. So I can... Talk about. You did not do a good job. <laughs> Swingers. <laughs> Twitch. Fidget. <laughs> He's like, I, I, I've learned how to not be reactive when I'm talking about sex. <laughs> but this is the point. Like, this is a this is a guy who has this, like, you know, he he champions his Christian identity and he says that the that society is being ruined because of homosexual activities and current uh media or television, entertainment, these shows that are, you know, unconventional, when he's literally throttling, knocking ankles loose with some woman. That's some Alabama shit. That's some Alabama shit. I just said swingers and you lost your mind and you just said that? Oh my God. What's, I've never heard. He said throttling. He's literally... And knocking, knocking ankles. What? Uh, what is knocking ankles loose? I said knocking. <laughs> I know what knocking the boots are. There's a, there are songs about that. But what are knocking ankles loose? 
So there was a parody. You guys heard of this guy, Derek Jackson. He's like this relationship yeah. expert oh, yeah, telling yeah, yeah. women, basically mostly telling women how, you know, the man that they have is trash. Go find a good man that's going to be faithful and loyal because black men don't cheat and all of this stuff. And he was talking about himself. And he was cheating. And so there was a parody video. Him, him and his wife did like a live where they addressed people in this this controversy, this scandal. And it's funny because a lot of people parodied it. And they're sitting there and like one guy's like pretending to be Derek Jackson. He's like, you know, uh, yeah, I did it all. I was out here. I was just throttling anything that moves. I was out here knocking ankles. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's where I got that from. So I can't stand it. <laughs> so let's take another quick break and then we'll come back with our invitation for the week. Also, I want to say in our last recording, you were louder than Katie and I. You was like very loud. It's true. Get that shit together. What are you talking Because people told me before that you were quieter. And I was like, oh, I'll tell Brandon that. And then I listened to that episode. It was like Sam and I were whispering. Oh, wait, I did that edit. So I don't know what I did. I was going to say, I don't know why you're talking to me. You did that. No, I was just saying, I think your mic was just up more. Okay. When I sent it to you, we were all the same level. Well, I normalized it. I pressed normalization on. You know, he think he run the shit, so he turned his up louder than ours. But you know what I think it is? I think that it's the system. The system, because uh, I'm marked as the host. It's always the system. Never personal responsibility. Always. <laughs> this the is system. not your church. <laughs> White people can't say shit like that either. <laughs> you better watch it. I just want you to know. Uh, you know, I'm gonna switch sides real quick because you, you, okay. you the oppressor. They ask us to stop talking to you like this, and here you go trying to trying to provoke us. Right. <laughs> Always the system. You blacks can't never take responsibility for <laughs> your own shit. <laughs> I meant that's funny. I meant it for white people, but you know, that's all right. I I hear how you heard it, and that's important. Impact. Intent and impact. Important. Important indeed. And I'm certain that will be a recurring theme in our next episode about the traumas that black people experience on a daily basis in this white supremacist world. Y'all ain't ready. But all of that considered, as we come to the end of this episode, what are our invitations this week? I'm not as concerned about the sexual recession as I am about the focus on body. And when I've read these articles about the purity culture, I'm realizing how much that has impacted the dress code rules at school or this prevailing idea in this culture that women are the problem, that if if women could only dress right, then men would be okay. And I think that a more honest relationship with our bodies and with sex is really what's needed. And so, so, so I invite you to understand that your body is good. And I'm talking to myself at the same time, but your invitation is to honor your body and, and the feelings that you have are real and good and part of this wonderful creation. And once we know that, then we can start having conversations about sex and what it means to invite that into a particular relationship. Y'all laughed at me when I said that a couple weeks ago. I told you it's all about sex. Never heard you. You never said it. My invitation is, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? Where is this going? Holiness without no man shall see the Lord. Holiness is still required. That's what my invitation is. is. Holiness is still 
with hadn't told you once, I hadn't told you twice. You can't make it to heaven with a sweetheart and a wife. The Bible is right. Somebody's. Somebody's wrong. That's my invitation. I'm just playing. I kind of agree with uh, everything that Katie just said. So I put my glasses on because as Mother RuPaul says, the library is now open. I'm about to read your ass, Sam. I was kidding about the... uh... (laughs) I know you were. I I meant to wear these the whole episode, but I forgot because I like these. These are my sexy specs. They're actually called Sexy Specs. That's the brand. I'm not making it up. Now, my invitation is pretty simple. I do think that it is about being truthful. And we oftentimes come back to being truthful and what it means to practice truth, live in truth, exercise truth in your life. And I think what that means is there are a lot of people who have adopted a sexual relationship with someone, a marriage, a lifestyle, a heterosexual lifestyle, perhaps, that's inconsistent with the sexual being that they are. And the reality is when you stay inside of a situation because of an expectation as opposed to because it's loving, life-giving, it helps you to flourish, you're going to end up doing harm and damage to someone. First to yourself, but then also to the wife that you're faking it with and also to your children. There are plenty of stories about people who have been in heterosexual marriages only to find out, discover, slash be truthful about the fact that they're gay. And they've navigated exiting that relationship together and remaining co-parents and being faithful to that. Now, I'm not saying that's everybody's path. That's not, I'm not saying everybody has to now be gay and go, you know, be same gender loving. And no, that's not what I'm not driving the gay agenda this time. But I am saying be honest about what your sexual preferences and desires are and figure out a way to be faithful to that. And if you happen to be committed to someone in a marriage, if you happen to be committed to a family because you helped to birth them, there are still ways to have this conversation. If you like sex with multiple people, there are models for how you have an open relationship and still be faithful to your wife as long as you both are in agreement and can lay some ground rules together. If you are someone who's bisexual and you've adopted a heterosexual mask, there are models For you to navigate that in a healthy fashion. Thruples are a thing now. Maybe your wife is bi too. There are all kinds of possibilities. And the only way that we're able to tap into those things that can be life-giving is if we're honest and if we tap into truthfulness and courage. So whatever your sexual stuff is, if it's come up today, don't stifle it back down like you did when you was 13 years old going to True Love Weights. Let it bubble up and ask yourself questions and figure out how you're faithful to that in this season of your life. There are a lot of resources linked in the show notes. I encourage you to click on them and figure out what you need next. But whatever you do, and to Sam's point about being holy, it is actually about holiness. It is about being whole. It is about being able to say, you know what? To be holy is to be whole. And if I am walking around scared, if I'm walking around hiding, if I'm walking around lying, then I'm not whole. Wait. Why did you reference that? That's not going in the episode. What I said is not going in the episode. It is because it was funny. Everybody ain't going to take it as that. (laughs) Sam was playing, y'all, in case we keep that in the episode. (laughs) But it is about actually being whole. And my hope and my invitation is for everybody to seek out wholeness. And for me, wholeness can't be filled with lies. So you can't be seeking sexual wholeness and not talk to the person to whom you're committed. That's cheating and that's lying. Because if you all have an agreement, then you are breaching that agreement. So don't go pursuing shit by yourself without talking to your partner and your family because everybody got to be in on this one. 
That is all, folks. If you are enjoying the Holy Shit Pod, do us a solid. Rate and review the podcast and share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to spread the good news about the Holy Shit Pod. So run tell that like the disciples told everybody about Jesus. Thank you for lending us your ears on this Monday morning or whenever you had time to listen to this week's podcast. We'll be back next week with a conversation about the new Amazon series, Them, and other Black TV shows and movies that mirror the traumas Black people experience on a daily, hourly basis. I mean, to be honest, sometimes it's every minute and every second. Let's be real. But all that and more next week on the Holy Shit Pod. We'll be in the same place at the same time. Until then, peace up. A town done. There's some holes in this house. There's some holes in this house.